possibly need for that trip ends up on the list. And then, whenever she packs that item in the suitcase, she goes over to the master list and crosses that item off of the list to make sure that every single thing is packed and ready to go for that trip so that we're prepared for whatever we might face on that journey. Some of you are like that. Some of you are very anal like that where you have to like have everything in its exact place and that's just the way it's going to be. But some like we but anytime we go on a journey, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared for what it is that we're going to face. And as we go on this all journey together as a church, we want to be prepared as well. We want to be ready because we believe God is asking us to do some things. We believe God is taking us somewhere. And in order for us to go, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And so we're figuratively packing our bag over these next few weeks as we get ready to go out on this journey that God is calling us to. And we started last week by talking about this big idea of trust. And so we took trust and we packed it in our bag. And trust takes up a big, big part of your bag, doesn't it? Because trust is a big idea with a lot of implications. And we talked about what it looks like to trust God with every part of our life with every part of who we are, with every part of us being a generous person, what it looks like for us to trust him. And so trust is a huge, huge part of that. To help us on this journey, we are looking at the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Abraham or Abram, I'm going to say both this morning. I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to mess it up numerous times. But Abram was later in his life known as Abraham. But we're looking at the life of Abraham. Because in the life of Abraham, we see a guy that was on a journey. We see a man that God had called to do something big. And Abraham was preparing himself for the things that God wanted him to do. And like I said, we're on a journey too. Not just as a church, not just as a congregation, but as individuals, as we grow in our faith, as we grow into becoming more, um, more and more devoted followers to Jesus Christ. And so as we're on this journey, we as a church have set a couple of goals. The number one primary goal that we have set for these next couple of years as we go on this all journey is that we, would, we want 100% participation with us. We believe that if we are going to be able to accomplish the things that God is asking us to do, we need everybody to be on board. We need everybody to play their part in serving and in giving sacrificially, in being generous to the work of the church so that we can accomplish the things, the big things that we believe God is asking us to do. And so we're looking for that 100% participation. See, God doesn't want to just make a difference through us. He's going to. God is going to make a difference through us as we give, as we become more generous, as we go out into the community to do the things that God is asking us to do. God is going to do something through us. But what we also believe is that through this journey, God is going to do something in us. He's going to develop our faith. He's going to grow our faith. He's going to give us a better understanding of himself and the characteristics that we should have as we follow him. So we're excited about that, that not only do we get to go and see God do things through us, but we also get to see God do things in us and changing us as followers of Jesus. Today, we're going to add something else to our bag. We're going to keep packing our bag as we prepare for this journey. Today we want to talk about this idea of our priorities. Because if we trust God, 
that if we really trust God, then it's going to reflect itself in our priorities and what we do and how we prioritize the things in our lives and how we prioritize our generosity in our lives. If you look at the history of this church, this church is about 57 years old. If you look at the history of this church, what you will find is you will find time and time again a group of people who prioritized the mission that God gave them who did the things that God asked them to do, who gave sacrificially, who reached beyond themselves to make a difference for, their, for, for, the, for God's kingdom. In fact, this morning we want to show you a, a quick video that just gives you a little picture of the history of our church because some of us have been here for a really long time, some of us haven't been here for very long at all, and some of us, like me, are somewhere in the middle of that. And so it's important for us to understand where we've been what we've been through, so that we can understand where we're going as well. So let's go ahead and check out the, the video now.
of the things that happened in the life of our church. That there was a group of people that continually prioritized the mission of the church. They made that part of who they were in order to get us where we are today. And so here's what I want you to do. And this might sound a little strange, but just go with me for a second. I want you to imagine you standing on the shoulders of somebody that was attending that church on, on that little church on Lockwood Ridge Road 50 years ago. That you're standing on their shoulders. You're standing there because they gave. Because they, t- they took faith-filled risks to follow the call that God had given them. They gave up their own personal comfort. They gave up some of their own preferences, some of the things that they liked in order to reach the next generation. And because they did that, you're standing on the shoulders of that group of people. And now I want you to imagine this. What would it look like for us to have the next generation standing on our shoulders so that this mission, this idea of what God has called us to do, can continue? What would it look like for us to do that? Are we willing to be the same group of people that we have been for the past 57 years? People who have been willing to prioritize the mission, not just as a church, but as individuals who are reaching people for Christ, who are showing people the hope that we have in Jesus. Are we willing to make the mission a priority for us as well? That's what we're asking as part of this all journey. And like I said, to help us, we're looking at the life of Abraham from Genesis chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. The verses will be on the screen. We're going to walk through Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And we're going to see how Abram prioritized the things that God asked him to do in his life. How he made decisions that showed his priorities. So let's start right in verse 1, Genesis chapter 13. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel, and they pitched their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. So basically at this point in his life, Abram is a traveling nomad. God has asked him to go. He doesn't know, he doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know all the exact locations, but he's going. He's obeying. He's listening to the call. He's he's prioritizing the mission. So let's keep reading. Verse 4. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So we have Abram and we have Lot traveling together. Now many of you know that Abram was Lot's, uh, Lot's uncle. So they're family too. All right. So you've got these two family members traveling together. And they have so much stuff, so many animals. They were so wealthy that it was actually causing tension between the two families, between the two camps. And we're going to see how that looks starting in verse 7. In verse 7 it says this, So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. At that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, 
then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. Think about the offer that Abram is giving Lot right here. That's a pretty substantial offer. This was Abram's mission. This was Abram's journey. And yet, even in the middle of that journey, Abram said, Lot, I'm going to give you first pick. I'm going to give you first pick. And remember, what are they fighting over? What's causing this tension? Their wealth, their money, their stuff, their possessions. That's what's causing the tension between them. Aren't you glad that money and wealth and possessions don't cause any more tension in our world today? Of course they do, right? These types of conflicts still exist in our world today. In fact, money and possessions and wealth and the pursuit of those things can be the number one killer. It can be the number one competitor for your heart. They can be the number one thing that can so quickly take over your priorities. They can so quickly take over your focus and the direction that you're going in your life. And so here's Abram and Lot. Dispute, they have a dispute. They're trying to figure it out. Abram is trying to help Lot by giving him the first pick. Now, what should Lot have done? What should Lot have done? Listen, I, it's easy, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But here's the thing. If you're Lot, what you should have done is turn around and say, listen, Abram, no. You're the patriarch here. You're the older, wealthier, wiser person. You take first pick. Here's the reality. A lot of Lot's wealth he had because of Abram. Abram had provided for Lot his whole life. He had looked out for Lot his whole life. Almost everything Lot had, he could, contri- he could contribute to the work of Abram. And so how does Lot choose? What does Lot do? Let's keep reading in verse 10. So Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So who did Lot choose for? Lot chose for Lot, right? Lot chose for Lot. Lot decided he was going to do whatever it took to make himself happy, to make himself wealthier, to take care of himself. And so Lot chose for himself. Now that's an important lesson for us. Because one of the major barriers for us as individuals, one of the major barriers for us as a church, one of the things that can hold us back from being all in is by being selfish, by choosing for ourselves, by looking out for the things that make us happiest, that make us wealthiest, that make us the most comfortable. And when we do that, we hit a barrier that keeps us from truly being all in. And it keeps us from a life of generosity. So let's see what happens. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth they cannot be counted. 
Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Lot has made his decision. Abram's made his decision. God shows up to kind of tell him what's going to happen as a result of those decisions, as a result of those priorities. And this idea of God promising Abram things throughout his life happens numerous times in Abram's life. But look at the picture that God is giving Abram right here. He says, Abram, stand up. Look to the north. Look to the south. Look to the east. Look to the west. As far as you can see, that land will belong to you and your descendants. Abram, reach down and pick up a handful of dust. Look at those tiny little particles of dust. You're not going to be able to count your descendants. They're going to outnumber these little particles of dust. God was promising Abram a huge heritage, a huge family, major important things that Abraham was was really seeking after. But those things weren't more important to Abram than the mission, than than the call that God had placed on his life. And because Abram prioritized the mission, because Abram prioritized God and others above himself, God blessed him. And that's an important lesson for us to learn. There's a huge difference between what Abram and Lot do here. Abram's decisions lead to blessing, Abram's decisions lead to abundance, and Lot's decisions lead to destruction, and Lot's Lot's decisions lead to disaster in his life. If you're honest with yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, we can be a lot like Lot, can't we? We can be a lot like Lot. Genesis 13 was a pivotal moment in the life of Abram and Lot. But if we're looking and examining ourselves, when we read that story, we're like, of course I would have done what Abram did. Well, would, would we? Would we, if we were in that same situation? Would we have taken all of that into consideration and made the right choice? I hope we would have. And if we truly trust in God, I think we would have. But sometimes we can act a lot like Lot. I heard this quote from John D. Rockefeller. Many of you know John D. Rockefeller is one of the most successful businessmen in the history of our country. And one time a a man came to John D. Rockefeller and said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? And Mr. Rockefeller said, a little bit more. A little bit more. How many of us are pursuing a little bit more? God, just give me a little bit more. We can be a lot like Lot, can't we? The pursuit of more. The pursuit of stuff that makes us happier, makes us wealthier, makes us more comfortable can take over in our lives. It can become our focus. It can become our priority. And so we need to learn from people like Abram. Abram, on the other hand, had a totally different set of priorities. If you look back in verse 4 of this chapter, what does Abram do? Abram builds, he had had already built this altar earlier, but he goes back to this altar and he worships God there. Because every step along Abram's journey, if you read through the story of Abraham, you're going to find him time and time and time again stopping what he's doing and worshiping God, asking God for direction, asking God for help, asking God to teach him and mold him and shape him into the type of person that God wanted him to be. That was Abram's priority. Not himself, not his own comfort, but what God wanted for him. Here at Alliance, we want to have those same types of priorities. We want to be asking God 
what he wants for us in every step that we take as a church and as individual members of this church. See, Abram didn't just prioritize God in his decisions, but he also prioritized God with his abundance and with his wealth. If you keep reading into Genesis chapter 14, what you're going to find is this. You're going to find Lot, who's already made his decision, who's, who's already set his priorities, and those priorities have led him down an awful path. Lot has actually been captured by the kings in the city of Sodom. And Abram, in Genesis chapter 14, orchestrates this unbelievable rescue mission where he goes into, into the city of Sodom and he gets Lot and his family and all of his stuff out of the city. And it's an amazing story. It's an incredible story. We don't have time to read the whole thing today. But I would encourage you to read Genesis chapter 14 and see what Abram did to save his nephew. It's huge. It's important. And so, we get, so after this, Abram saves Lot. He saves his family. He saves all his stuff. But in the process, he defeats the kings of Sodom. And in that day, when you defeated a king, you got all of their stuff too. And so... Abram has all these spoils of the war. He has all this stuff that he has now recovered from the kings of Sodom. And when we get to verse 16 in Genesis chapter 14, we see what Abram does with those things. Here's what it says. In verse 16 it says, Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. And, Lot, and Abram starts letting the captives free and doing all these amazing things, and he's doing all these things right. But then what he does with that wealth that he's just accumulated is an important lesson for us. Because what we're going to find is we're going to find one of the very first times in the Bible when somebody gave a tithe. When somebody gave a tithe to the work of God. What we're going to find is a priest by the name of Melchizedek that shows up. And Melchizedek is kind of this mysterious figure in Scripture, but many believe that Melchizedek is like a foreshadowing of the, of the person of Christ. And he's one of the first priests that we meet in the Bible, who is a priest of God, who's doing the work of God. And what Abram does with Melchizedek teaches us an important lesson about our giving and our generosity. Starting in verse 17 in Genesis chapter 14, it says this, After Abram returned from his victory over Ked oh, I'm going to mess that name up, Kedolomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all of the goods that he had just recovered. So Abram gave a tenth of what he had just recovered to Melchizedek, to the work of God, to what God wanted to do through the ministry of Melchizedek. And this is one of the first times in the Bible where we see this idea of a tithe being presented. Here's the interesting part. Abram isn't just giving his leftovers, is he? Abram doesn't say, hey, Melchizedek, listen, I have this pile of stuff that's just been sitting over here for a long time. You're more than welcome to that. Go ahead and take whatever you need out of there. No, Abram says, look, this is what God has just given me. This is the first and best of what I have. And one-tenth of it I give back to God and to his work. Abram did that because he loved God. He did that out of obedience to God. He did that out of gratitude to God. That's what led Abram to do that. 
That's what should lead us in our generosity, our love for God, our obedience to God, our gratitude to God. That's what should lead us whenever we give, whenever we are asked to be generous with what God has given us. So you've got Abram. If you go earlier in the book of Genesis, what you're going you're gonna to meet two characters by the name of Cain and Abel. And many of us know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve. And here is one of the very first times you ever see anybody giving an offering to God, right? So you've got Cain and Abel. Abel is a shepherd, and Cain is a, gar- is a, is a farmer. And so Abel brings his sacrifice to God, his offering to God. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. And that's important because usually the firstborn was the strongest, it was the, the healthiest, it was the most likely to survive. That's why I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the strongest, I'm the healthiest, I'm the most likely to survive. But, the, but that, that was an important gesture that Abel was making. He wasn't just bringing the runt of the litter. A- Abel was bringing the very best that he had to God. And he was doing that because he trusted God. Abel was willing to say, God, you can have the very first and the very best of what I have because I trust you that you're going to provide for me. I trust you that you're going to meet my needs. And so Abel brings his first and his best. What does Cain do? Cain's a farmer. And when the harvest comes in, Cain wants to make sure he has enough of what he needs. And so he brings the leftovers of his crop to God. And he lays them before God as an offering. And what does God do? God God blesses and accepts the offering of Abel and rejects the offering of Cain. Because Cain brought his leftovers. Cain brought whatever he had laying around. But Abel brought his first and his best to God. So through the story of Abram, through the example of Abel, we see what it looks like to be people who are generous. People who have our priorities in the right place. People who prioritize the work of God and the mission that God has given us as a church and as individuals. And so keeping that in mind, I want to ask us four questions this morning. Four questions that are going to help us think about our giving and our generosity and, ask, and making us kind of examine our own hearts to make sure that, that giving truly is the priority that it should be for us. So, first question. Is your giving led by your circumstances or are your circumstances led by your giving? Is your giving led by your circumstances or are your circumstances led by your giving? Let me try to explain that by asking you a couple of questions. Does everything in your life have to be just right before you're willing to be generous? Does, do you have to have X amount of dollars in your bank account? Do you have to have your vacation fund full so you can make sure you can take that trip later this year? Do you have to have everything just right before you're willing to be generous? If that's the case, then your circumstances are leading your giving. Do you, have to, do you have to say to God, God, wait, just wait till I make a little bit more money. A little bit more, right? A little bit more. And when I make a little bit more, then I will be more generous. If that's the case, your circumstances are leading your giving. Instead of your giving leading your circumstances. We have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions when it comes to being generous. And here's the deal. I get it. 
I get that some of you are skeptical about this. I get that some of you are thinking, hey, all they're doing is they're trying to get me to give more of my money to the church so the church can do whatever they want with it. Here's the deal. I'll tell you right now, what I'm more excited about with this whole all journey is seeing how generosity will truly change your life. How gen- not just change the life of this church, but how generosity will change your life as an individual. Because whenever we become more generous individually, I believe God begins to open our eyes and make us more aware of what he's doing, and then we get to see how we get to be a part of that with him. But that requires generosity. That requires giving that leads our circumstances and not circumstances that lead our giving. We have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions. We believe that generosity will change your life. And as an added bonus, we as a church get to do more because of that. We get to reach more because of that. But I'm telling you right now, I'm just as excited, if not more, to see how generosity will change you as a follower of Jesus than I am to see what it does to us as a church. Because what it does for us as a church is it's going to happen when it happens to you as an individual. So please know that this isn't just something to, so that the church can get more money, so that I can get a pay raise, or so that we can go you know, buy whatever we want to buy. It, that's not what this is about. This is about teaching us that this part of our lives, our giving and our generosity, is just as important a part of our discipleship as any other part of who we are. So we have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions. Next question. What is first in your decisions? What is first in your decisions? What comes first whenever you make a decision? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon he gives. In Matthew 6, verse 33, he says these words. Many of us have heard this so many times, but Jesus says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. Jesus is talking not just about money, but all areas of our lives. And if we seek God first in our generosity, if we seek God first in asking him what he's asking us to do to be more generous, he's going to take care of the other things. He's going to meet our needs. It might not look the way we want it to look all the time. It might not be the way we imagined it was going to be. But that doesn't mean that God won't meet our needs. So what comes first in your financial world? Next question. Does God get the first and the best of all that you receive? Does God get the first and the best of all that you received? Abram set the standard for us in Genesis chapter 14. Abel showed us an example of what this looks like in the book of Genesis. Of what it looks like to give our first and our best. Now let me just say, giving our first and our best requires sacrifice. It's tough. It's hard. There's no way around that. I get that. It's a difficult thing that you have to wrestle with to ask God what it looks like for you to give your first and your best. But it also makes us aware of what God is doing and again, how we get to be a part of that with Him whenever we give God our first and our best. I'm telling you right now, this is something that my family is wrestling with right now. This is something that my family is wrestling with because 
We as leaders have been through some of this stuff that we're taking you through right now. We're asking ourselves these questions. And I'll tell you right now, there are things that my wife and I want. There are things that my wife and I want. But right now we're asking God, God, are those the things that you want for us? Are those the things that you want for us? And we have to be willing to ask God to show us what it looks like to give our first and our best to him. We want, here, listen, as your pastors, we want you to care about things that God cares about. We want you to care about other people. We want you to care about this community. We want you to care about growing as a disciple of Jesus. And we believe that happens as we begin to give more of our first and our best to God. Last question. Does your giving reveal who you trust? Does your giving reveal who you trust? Let me answer this one for you. Ready? Yes. Does your giving reveal who you trust? Yes. Because what you give to, who you give to, reveals who you ultimately trust in your life. What I give, if I give most of who I am, most of what I get to myself, I trust myself. And there's nothing wrong with trusting myself. But the question is this, the, the, the statement is this, is who you give to, who, who you give the most to reveals who you trust the most. And so I'm just asking you to think about that, asking you to think about what that looks like for you to reveal who it is that you trust by what you give your, your genero- what you give your money to and who you're generous with. Here's the deal. The reason that some people don't give, the reason that some people aren't generous, it's not because they're cheap. It's not because they're stingy. It's because they're afraid. Let me say that again. The reason I am not a generous person is not because I'm cheap. It's not because I'm stingy. It's because I'm afraid. I get afraid. I, am, I get scared of giving up control of this area to God. I get, I get concerned about what it looks like to trust God more with my generosity. It's fear. Fear stops us from seeing some of this stuff happen in our life. Actually, at, in our all group last week at the table that we were at in the gym after the service, we talked about this very idea of what it looks like to, that, that we don't trust God because we're afraid. We're afraid of giving up control. We're afraid of giving more of who we are to God and letting God do what he wants with it instead of we getting to have a say in what happens to it. It's fear. It's not, it's not that we're cheap. It's not that we're stingy. It's that we're afraid and that we have a hard time trusting God. To help us overcome that fear, we want to we help everybody be willing and able to overcome that fear. And I get it. Some of you are saying, listen, I don't really give much of anything right now, and you're asking me to jump to like 10%. I can't do that. And that's, you're probably right. You can't. You probably can't. Like, you're not just going to wake up one morning and just, boom, you can just give 10%. It's a process. It's a growth process of what it looks like for us to become more um, generous with what God has given us. But here's the thing. You might not be able to go from 0 to 10. I get that. But you can take a next step. You can take a next step when it comes to your generosity, when it comes to your giving. One of our core values at Alliance is that we want to be people who are willing to take next steps in every area of our lives. And that includes our giving. That includes our generosity. 
We want to be people who are willing to take next steps. So we want to help you look, we want to give you some ideas of what it could look like for you to take the next step in your giving and your generosity. And so we have this thing that we're calling a giving ladder. It's in your bulletin this morning. We're going to put it up on the screen as well. But this giving ladder just gives you a picture of what it looks like for you to take your next step. If we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us is somewhere on this ladder. We're somewhere on this ladder. We find ourselves in different places on the ladder at different times in our lives, but we are somewhere on this ladder. Let me tell you, when my wife and I moved here 16 years ago, we were right out of college. We had a whole heck of a lot of student loan debt. And we moved into an apartment that we filled with hand-me-down furniture that my parents gave me. And a mattress that we still aren't sure exactly where it came from. And we, and we were trying to figure this thing out of what it looked like to live in Sarasota on a pastor's salary and make this thing work. And as part of that process, we had to sit down and ask ourselves, God, what does it look like for us to be generous right now? Even though we don't have anything. We don't have enough. What does it look like for us to be generous? And we had to start working our way up this ladder. I will tell you right now, we are not at the top of this ladder. I'm being 100% honest with you. We are not at the top of this ladder. We're not there. But we're asking God to show us what our next step is. And we're asking each one of you to take a look at what your next step could be. So let's walk through this ladder just really quick. And I get to use this laser pointer, which makes me feel really, really important. So just deal with me. All right, so here's the deal. Let's go to the first step. The first step, oh no, where's my laser pointer? I got it, hold on, we're good. There it is, all right. The first step is this first time step right here. Now, that is those of us that have never given anything or have given minimally to the church. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. We, just, we don't give much at all, anything to the church. So your next step might be to give for the very first time. It might be to give on a more consistent basis. But that might be your next step. The next step on the ladder is this occasional step right here. This is those of us that we give, but we don't give consistently. Like we occasionally, oh, when the plate's pass in front of me, I open my wallet and I throw some cash in there. I, I give occasionally. But it's not part of my discipleship. It's not part of my growth as a follower of Jesus. I do it when I think about it, but it's not part of my regular walk with God. The next step is this intentional step. Now this is people, these are, that's those of us that we give consistently some portion of our income to the church. We, we consistently give some part of our income on a regular basis to the work of the church. The next step is this tither step. And it, if you're not used to being in church, you hear us throw that word around a lot, tithe. That literally means 10%, just like Abram did in the story that we read today. And this, is, this, this step right here is those of us that faithfully commit to giving 10% of our income to God. And then this last step is this extravagant step. And this is, that's the, those of us that give above and beyond that 10% to the work of God because we feel like God is asking us to. We feel like we're called to be more generous in certain areas of our life. And so we do that out of obedience and out of love and out of gratitude, just like Abraham did. And so I don't know where you are on this ladder. I don't know where you are right now. We don't know who gives what and how much. We don't, we don't want to know that. 
But here's the deal. I'm just asking you to, to ask yourself, where, are, where am I on this ladder? And let me give you a, just a real basic, rough breakdown of what it looks like in the average church in the United States. All right? The average church in the United States. 60% of the people in the average church in the United States give somewhere in this range right here. First time to occasional, maybe bumping up to intentional, but 60% of the people in an average church give somewhere in here. 30% of the people in the average church in America give somewhere in here. They like might touch the tither rate, but they're usually like right in here. And then 10%, the leftover 10% of the people in the average church in America are right here. Tither to extravagant. Think about this. What would happen? What would happen if each and every one of us took the next step in our generosity? What could we see accomplished in our community? What could we see happen here at this church if each and every one of us were willing to take the next step in our generosity? Listen, I get that this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to talk about it. But it's reality. It's part of who we are as followers of Jesus. To be people who are generous because Jesus has been so generous with us. Has been so giving to us. That this is our response, our gratitude, our obedience to Him. So again, I don't know where you are on that ladder. I'm just asking you to consider, are you willing to take the next step? That's what we're asking. I get that you can't go from 0 to 10. I can't go from 0 to 10. But I'm asking myself what my next step looks like. And I hope you'll do the same. Now, in order for us to complete our mission here at this church, to be loving, growing, and going, like we said, this is going to take 100% participation. This is going to take all of us on board. This is going to take us making decisions as a church to do things maybe a little bit differently in order to reach the next generation. Remember that picture. If you want the next generation to stand on your shoulders, to continue this idea of what Sarasota Alliance Church has been about for the last 57 years, we have to be willing to adapt and change. One of our core values is that growth equals change. We have to be willing to change. And so we are looking at every part of our ministry. We are looking at everything that God has given us. And one area that we're looking at is our facilities, our buildings. And we're asking God, God, what can we do to make these facilities fit the mission better so that we can be more effective in reaching people for Christ? So I'm actually going to ask Ron to come up. Ron is going to share some of the things that our leadership has been working on to help us fulfill the mission through our facilities as well. As Pastor Mike said, uh, we're on a journey, an all journey. Well, you know, if you go on a long, important journey, you just don't leave, right? You know, I wouldn't go home tomorrow morning and say, Donna, we're going to go on a around-the-world cruise. We're leaving this afternoon. Okay? You need to first pray about it, should you really do that. You need to plan it, and then you need to pack, right? Well, do you know that your leadership has been doing this for like three or four years now? We looked at what God was doing, and we said, thank you, God, but you know, God, we believe you want to do so much more. And so that's when the journey began. And we say around here a lot that our church, our mission is to be loving, growing, 
going. What does that mean? We want to be loving because, loving because the first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others like you love yourself. We want to be loving. We want to be growing, growing individually, but we want to be growing to bring others to know Jesus too. And we want to be going. We want to be going outside the walls of this church uh, in our community and sending people to the ends of the earth to tell others about the Lord because that's the mission. That's the mission that Jesus gave to us. And so your elders, your pastors, your governing board, we start praying, God, make this a reality. Make this all about you and not about us. And God has truly worked in very special ways in that way. Now, we, that's the journey that uh, your leadership started on like three or four years ago. And that's the journey that we're asking God that you'll join us. So it'll be an all journey. Because see, if only a few of us do this journey, we're really going to be limited. But if all of us, all of us who are Christ followers get on this journey, God can do great and amazing things. And so what are some of the things we need to do? Well, we came up with two really big ideas. And the first, we're going to go out into our community so much more. And you've heard the past year about new ministries we've started to get outside the walls of this church to impact people for Jesus Christ. And thank you for those of you who volunteered to do that. The second thing is that most, a lot of our ministry, I mean, it's right here. It's on this campus. And God's given us this building. Do you know this property, this complex here, it started because... 39 people voted unanimously to relocate to this property. It would ultimately cost us about $2 million. Where did $2 million, $2 million, where did $2 million come from from 39 adult members? Well, they sacrificed, but God worked. And you see, that's the way God does it. That's the way God does it. I'm going to ask Jay Koblenz uh, to come up. Uh, he's one of our elders, and he's been a, a, a poor part of this journey, and he's going to explain uh, some of the things that God is directing us to with regard to our facilities here. Thank you, Ron. Good morning. Three years ago, the elders and the governing board started the process of evaluating the current condition of the buildings and the site here at Alliance. A reserve study committee was formed, and the conclusion of the committee was that the necessary improvements to the sanctuary over a five-year period would be approximately $500,000. Considering the amount of money necessary to repair the sanctuary, the elders and the governing board wanted to make sure that the money would be well spent, but more important, mission-driven. These improvements must be driven by our adopted mission statement of loving, growing, and going. All ministry and operations activities are motivated and subject to this brief mission statement. If we truly want to be a connecting church, these two issues need to be confronted. The first is that we have multiple entry points to the church, which prevents connecting with others when the service is attended. We want a church that promotes generational interaction, and the current layout fails to do this. The second is that we have stated how we are committed to the spiritual growth of families, and encourage participation in children's activities in the CLC. We want to be a church that welcomes families and, and want our priorities to reflect the importance of family. 
Uh, we are so thankful for the families that are engaged at CLC. A typical Sunday morning for these parents means entering into the rear of the sanctuary and missing any connection with others. We need a solution that shows the importance of our children and our student ministries. We've solicited architects to help provide a solution, and we are currently working with one in particular that understands our needs and has provided solutions we've asked for. The governing board has agreed to a two-phase construction project that will address our needs and provide a sanctuary building ready for service for many years to come. Um, what you're seeing right now is a, a phasing plan. And the first phase is going to include improvements right here in this room, sanctuary improvements, and also enclosing the front drive-through area so we have a bigger gathering space. Um, Israel, if you can go to the next slide. So this rendering illustrates the enclosed entry in the front. And for the first phase, that is where we're still going to meet and greet people. That's where everybody's going to come in. This, all of this room here will be completely renovated. The restrooms that you're currently going to that look like 1981 style, those are going to get upgraded. Um, so this is another rendering showing what the front of the church would look like. So we go on then to the phase two plan. Phase two would require more money, but it also helps us solve the issue of connecting here at Sarasota Alliance. Uh, go ahead, go to the next slide, please, Israel. So what we have on the phase two plan, phase one's done. In a, in a year or two, we can, can possibly go on to phase two. We integrate an entry at the back of the church. So when you come to Sarasota Alliance, you're going to enter between the CLC and the sanctuary. And the whole intent of this is that it brings more connecting. It allows families and us old people like me <laughs> to meet with the families. Uh, and that's really one of our emphasis. But it also, it's mission-driven. That's what this is all about. Uh, these, these improvements that we're doing, while they're necessary to keep the building and update the building, probably more important what we're trying to do is integrate that this is a mission-driven uh, plan. Thank you. And that's briefly what uh, we were presenting to you, what we're working on, what we, the, what we believe God is really directing us. Some of you today are guests, okay? Maybe you're just here for a week in Florida or whatever. This isn't your home church, and you're hearing about this all journey, and maybe you're saying, well, you know, of course, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Friend, you're on a journey, too. We're all on a journey. And I hope it's a discipleship journey where you're just getting closer and closer to Jesus. But for the rest of you, you know, if you plan a family trip, you don't want to leave any family members behind, do you? And friend, God has called all of us. That Alliance is, is, is our church home. It's, it's our spiritual family. We're here to encourage and challenge each other and bless each other and love each other. But we're here to grow. And we're here to grow and reach out into a community that so desperately needs Jesus. And so I trust that you'll be on the journey. You'll join the all journey as we talk about that uh, the next three weeks. Uh, following this time, uh, most of you are going to go over to the CLC because we're having all groups. We're just calling for this time. 
it's a time where we just talk about some of these things. Now, Mike had some very interesting and challenging things to say, didn't he? Talk about them with others. If, you're, if you didn't join an all-group uh, last week, go over there, and uh, we'll help you get in a group, uh, someone that you can enjoy fellowship with. Uh, youth group, as we always say, you know, too, they've, uh, they have some uh, overpriced snacks for sale for you uh, to fund their mission trips and stuff that they're doing. But it's a good way to connect and enjoy that as well. And so I hope that uh, you, you won't rush off. I hope you'll be a part of that as well. Because, see, we're on a journey. And this journey matters. This journey counts. This is an eternal journey that we're on. And I hope that you're going to be a part of the all journey. Father, we just praise you so much. God, you created us to bless us. Now, unfortunately, we can think that blessing is having a lot of money, not having any problems. No, true blessing is being close to you. It's being used by you. It's living a life that matters, not just right now, but forever. It's not about comfort or ease. It's about doing something which is significant and meaningful forever, for all of eternity. That's the journey that we're on. And so, Father, I pray that you challenge us, that as you speak to us, sure, we're going to be afraid. Sure, we're going to have feelings and want to do it another way. But your way is best. And dear Lord, you do call us to be generous because that's the only way we can be like you. You are the most generous being of all. Everything we have, you gave to us. And one day you were so generous that you gave your own son to die in our place so that we could, all our sins could be forgiven. So God, if we're going to be closer to you and be more like you and follow your son Jesus, being generous is a huge part of that. And Father, help us. Help us with our fears. Help us with our tendency to think for our, about ourselves instead of you and others. And God, I know you will. You're not mad at us. You haven't given up on us. You're coming to us in this time so that we will grow, grow closer to be closer to you and more like you. And then people in our community are going to come to know Jesus Christ. People around the world are going to find out about him because of the journey that we're on with you. Oh, God, I want to thank you for these people. I want to thank you for my church family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're doing something that matters. And God, may we do it all for you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.